Blog Talk Radio. again today. Today, uh, we're going to be doing a very interesting exploration into indoor air quality and uh, how to create a healthy home. First of all, to see what it is and identify those items of a home that are not healthy, that some of us have actually gotten rather used to living with, have become habituated to and don't realize that these are hallmarks of a very unhealthy home, which, needless to say, would then lead to unhealthy humans inhabiting that home. But first, I want to just remind you all that you are listening to A Better World Radio. We are on the air every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. Please join us. That's Eastern Standard or Eastern Daylight Time. And we're also on television every Tuesday night at 10.30 p.m. as of now on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. And you can watch, if you are in Manhattan, directly on television, of course, on several of the cable stations. Go to our website at www.abetterworld.tv for more information. Or you can watch online from anywhere outside Manhattan. And both shows are always bringing forward information that have to do with what it is to create a better world. This is the subject at hand for us all the time, all the time. There are many different uh, shows that we do on health, on healing, on wellness, uh, such as tonight on dealing with indoor air quality, and we'll bring our guests on for this roundtable in just a moment. And we also look at the larger environmental contexts of what it is we're doing to our planet, uh, how we can create sustainable, renewable resources, energies, uh, electricity, uh, that we don't have to be destructive, but rather creative and constructive in our dealings with the natural resources afforded us by our beautiful planet. And these are, what can I say, the the bedrock of our society. And to learn about these things, the actions that we can take as individuals, as couples, as families, to create a better world for our own inner ecology, as I like to call it, inner ecosystem as well as outer, are the ways in which we can really help to clean up our act, 
and uh, we've so clearly soiled so much. And we're all on a learning curve. We're all learning how to improve our lives in different ways. And we're uh, very grateful here at A Better World tonight to have a, a dear friend and colleague with us, Jim Roby, and his colleague, Marco Volk, who will be joining me for the hour to discuss the uh, work they've been doing in bringing forward finer air quality in homes that have been adversely affected by such things as paints, carpeting, humidity, uh, dampness, mold. These are some of those very serious problems that then adversely affect our lungs, which then in turn affect our immune system. And there are certain very specific um, actions that we can take to remediate and turn around some of the ill effects of of uh, difficult conditions in the home that have become simply um, epidemic virtually in our society. So uh, just a couple of words about my guests. Uh, Jim Roby has been the founder of something called the Cleveland Environmental Group. He is also uh, the founder and president of a company called Steritech. And Jim has been on the cutting edge for a long time, and we'll hear from him in just a moment, of improving indoor air quality. He works primarily out of Cleveland, but he's gone across the country, and I've invited him to New York to uh, visit a few homes and lofts and the like here to bring his expertise to bear. One of his uh, close colleagues in the Cleveland area is Marco Volk, who I just mentioned, who is of Ambassador Construction Consultants. Uh, and he's been involved in doing uh, inspections of the home, residential buildings. He's part of a building science investigation consulting firm and consults to the real estate industry about these things that are sort of below the surface. You look at a nice house, you say, I love it, but what's really going on? Is there radon? Is there the uh, presence of asbestos? And this is the kind of consideration we're going to be looking at right now. So I want to welcome both of my guests to the show, Jim Roby and Marco Volk. Are you on the line? We are. Yes. Excellent. Welcome to Thank you Better for World. A pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thank you sure. very much for having us. Sure. Now, Jim Roby, who I have known for a long time, and I've had the great opportunity to appreciate a lot of the good work that you have done on behalf of uh, colleagues, clients, and friends of ours, uh, in the domain of uh, indoor air quality, why don't you tell us first, uh, how it is that you got involved in this yourself, and then let's bring Marco into the conversation about laying out some of the things people need to look out for and what the remedies are. Jim, I look forward to Jim. Hi, uh, Mitchell, how are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm great. It was very... I um, first encountered the smaller clothes during the curtain when it rips Carolina in the late night. Your line is coming in and out, Jim. Oh. It's Sorry, hard to hear that. you. 
not. We're, we're close do to the not, room. Do not speak what? on a speakerphone. No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm talking, I'm talking directly into my phone. Can you hear me now? You are. Okay, that's a good deal better, though. That's good. Good. Well, during Hurricane Floyd back in the late 90s, uh, we'd actually been in the ag business trying to improve the lives of the factory-grown uh, hogs and chickens. And uh, quite by accident, one of my farm managers called me and said, uh, does that stuff kill molds? And I said, uh, yes, it does. And uh, so he And we were talking about barn. that stuff, meaning the stirry shell? That's right. That okay. we were using the Please let the audience know. They don't know what you're referring to. Right. So uh, he took some cherry shell out of his stock and he gave it to his employees, and it worked phenomenally well and better than anything that anybody had used in the Carolinas. And what and is cherry shell? Cherry shell is a, a modified quaternary ammonia that um, is non-staining, non-corrosive, and non-toxic, and it, it's uh, been used as a high-level disinfectant for many years. Mm-hmm. We, as I said, we were treating the animal barns because of the atrocious yes. conditions in those barns. Yes. And we ended up treating about 10,000 people down in, in the Carolinas. Yes. And it was at that moment that I thought I had been selling my product to Dr. George Regal in the, in Detroit, who was a noted pioneer in the in the business. And I call him and I said, George, I, uh, will you teach me the mold business? And he said, sure, uh, I'll be happy to. And we started the mold business in Ohio. Uh, I see. And at that point, I uh, I called all the home inspectors, and there was only one guy in town that, that gave me a response, and it was Marco Vogue. And he said, uh-huh. that stuff. He said, I've been reading about that, and I... Uh, he said, give me, give me a little time. To, he said, give me a few months, to, to, and I'll get back to you. And I thought to myself, I don't have a few months. I, so I, I waited a couple of weeks, and I called him back. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how we began. That was 17 I see. Years. So we began. That's fabulous. And you've been working with each other ever since. On and off. That's right. Now, that's great. To please. <laughs> and so it's great. We started off, and uh, it uh, he saw what we were doing, and everybody thought that mold was just another radon uh, scare, and it was something to, to just something more to charge the homeowner with. And no one really took mold seriously until the Ballard case in Texas, and Melinda Ballard and her husband were awarded $30 million because they were in a new home in uh, Houston, and uh, and it, the mold in the home made the husband so sick that he was he couldn't work anymore. He was permanently brain damaged. And they, uh, brain damage? They were, yes. Uh, mold toxins have neurological effects. Some do, not all, but some. So yeah. that happened, and then Ed McMahon's dog died, and... Uh, uh, and Ed got sick, and then Aaron Brockovich had mold, and that was what really started the national attention to mold. And we were fortunate enough to have been established in Ohio, and 
be the first ones, and and so we were in on the cutting edge. And yes, I done. great, great, great. So fast forward. So you've been at it. You've been at it ever since. And yes. the fact is, mold is mold. If you really think about what mold is, it it helps to decay anything right. that it lands on, uh, whether yeah. it's uh, a wall or whether it's a piece of cheese. If you think about well, it, it's God's way of cleaning the universe. That's right. Exactly. It's designed to be that destructive element. Uh, you could say the the um, necessary polarity to constructive. So there's nothing wrong in itself. It's just a question of context. And on cheese, it could be very tasty. But in a home and you're inhaling, the uh, the effects of it is incredibly toxic. So, uh, well, it's been thank known, you. I mean, it's mentioned in Leviticus. Uh, so it's been known since biblical times to not be healthy if you're if it's in your home. Yes, exactly, exactly. Let's bring Marco Volk into the conversation. Marco, welcome to A Better World. Thank you. Um, yeah, continuing on with the conversation, uh, I was looking at homes from a structural perspective as a home inspector. I've been inspecting houses for 28 years. I've done over 14,000 homes. And in the process, you know, I've, I've written some publications and taken courses on all types of environmental disciplines. I even teach some classes to the American Society of Home Inspector Inspectors. And through this process of 28 years, I've, I've been seeing a lot of environmental conditions. Uh, mold generally was the moisture. It's caused by moisture. If you don't have moisture or humidity, you don't have mold. And so during inspections, one of the biggest things we're looking for is what causes moisture intrusion, moisture filtration. And and that generally turns out to cause mold problems. And if you have carpets and other uh, contaminants in a home, you start getting dust mites and et cetera. And a lot of homeowners want to know if they have a mold problem or a moisture problem. And Jim and I a lot of times get together on projects, and we get, like, People who complain, we think, I don't think they complain, but they have complaints on odors in homes, moisture conditions on homes, condensating windows, people getting ill, different types of uh, anomalies that happen. And so Jim and I will go out and investigate these, uh, these uh, concerns. And a lot of times it ends up being a moisture, humidity, and an HVAC problem. Uh, I, so we, we, and so you know, you always want to you know look at your house, you know, look at the basement, you know, if there's moisture leaking in, you got to figure out why it's leaking. And is it a gutter that's overflowing? Is it a defective window that's failing and causing water to infiltrate? Is it poor grading? Did you like have a sprinkler head sprinkling your house? I had so many calls where people will call about moisture problems in basements, and we'll go outside. And they'll have a sprinkler head sprinkling the foundation, causing ponding. You know, does the foundation have cracks? And, and, and so you want to fix the moisture problem to fix the mold problem. You want to fix the humidity problem uh, to fix the mold problem. So if you uh, are dealing with a concrete basement, which is the case, you know, probably in all houses that have basements in the United States and elsewhere, uh, 
what is the property of concrete relative to dealing uh, with moisture and humidity? Okay. Um, generally, you'll have a couple different types of foundations. A concrete foundation is the Portland-based a mixture, and they pour it. And what happens when you pour concrete, you have to pour it, it forms, and you have to vibrate it. What happens is if it, a lot of people like to put a lot of water in it when they pour it so it goes real nice into the forms. Well, then it well, it needs Yeah, exactly. It needs water. I mean, it's a chemical mixture, so it requires water. Absolutely. Water chemically reacts with the Portland cement. And then mm-hmm. you get these shrinkage. The shrinkage cracks aren't, a lot of people think they're real problems, you know, structural issues, and they're not. But the problem with a shrinkage crack in a reinforced concrete foundation is that if you have poor grading on the exterior, water overflowing, a swimming pool, a pond, a sprinkler head, then it can leak. And once it leaks, people finish their basements. So they don't know it leaks. So now they have this, this interstitial space that has high humidity, and basements are cold because they're underground, that, you know, the, the yeah. ground temperature is much lower, and mold sure. starts to grow in the back of the, of the drywall in the basement. So the house starts to have the odor. You, you walk in the house, you smell that, that first whip at the door, that musty odor. It may exactly. very well be your drywall from a leak, and that would be concrete. And masonry block foundations also crack from settlement and shrinkage and soil pressure. So is uh, what I guess I'm getting at here is I'm asking the question if concrete in itself is a barrier to moisture and humidity or does it almost invite it? I, I, I think I think that once the concrete gets hard, which they call hydration the first 28 days, I think you're pretty much done. And the only moisture you're going to get is – if the foundation is colder and, and, you have high humidity, and you have high humidity in the basement, then you can form a dew point. And if you form a dew point, then you you start to get that mold amplification. I well, understand. Just jump is in there any there kind of – I'm sorry, Jim? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to jump in and say concrete Please. is like a sponge. And unless you waterproof that concrete, ah. then – you see, if you just put concrete block in the ground and don't waterproof it, you're going to get water infiltration from the groundwater, and you're always going to have a wet foundation. So you must waterproof that block. Structure. Yeah. And then... This is what I was aiming for, exactly. I was looking to see if there's some kind of coating that could go on top of the concrete, which has its own inherent uh, issue with dealing with moisture, over time, um, and dealing That's with a why. you know a cold ground, earth, etc. And so there are coatings that you could apply that are let's say uh, eco-friendly. Is that correct? That's why our associate uh, in, in in Cleveland Environmental, uh, one of the uh, founding members is John Mazzetti from Cleveland Waterproofing. Uh, okay. He's done thousands of them, and he's an integral yeah. part of of our of our Solution. Yes. Yes. I like to interject also with the with the newer homes. They they will when they build a home they do waterproof it. Now the problem yes. you run into with the older homes is you have it waterproof, 
And then as a home ages, so do the trees in the yards, and they get bigger. And then the trees block the drain tile. Now you've got hydrostatic pressure. Now that causes new cracks in foundations, and and they can leak. So sometimes you have to re-waterproof after like 30, 40 years. And yeah. the older homes, yeah, they're really older homes in the 1900s to 1930s, they didn't install vapor barriers underneath the floors. Okay, the floors are just concrete. Today they have drainage spaces with stone, and then they put the vapor plastic down and they put the concrete. The older homes don't, don't have that. So now you can waterproof and you can still get some moisture coming through the floor, and it causes cracks and efflorescence, and you need to control that. And, you know, by waterproofing is number one, and then minimizing the water generators in your house is definitely number two, like humidifiers. If you overuse humidifiers, you're asking for trouble. If you have sub-pumps that aren't sealed, then you're going to have moisture. Moisture is lighter than dry air, so it's going to rise, and you're going to have another more humidity, another moisture generator. And, and then, of course, you, you want to try to control that. And dehumidifiers work pretty well. And I think older homes all should have dehumidifiers, uh, and you want to lower your humidity levels in the winter, much lower, 25 to 35 range. Uh, and, and, and then in the summer, you can go up a little bit higher, up into the 50s. Oh, I, mm. I wanted to interject. I wanted to interject. There is one system that does not work very well, and we call it jokingly the fan in the box. And there are a okay. number of people that manufacture these gizmos, and they are nothing more than a fan in a box. And they tell you mm-hmm. you don't have to use a humidifier. All you got to do is Stick one of these something something decks things in your basement and turn it on and it'll take all the humidity out of your basement. <laughs> Marco really those. Yes. <laughs> so they're pretty big on the East Coast as well. And what is the name of it again, Jim? I, well, we don't want to name the actual name. Uh Oh, but, but it's they, the uh unit that can do this. It's called a yes, fan in the box. Right. Another another product, it's not a product, it's just a condition that I find very humorous, is when I do my building science investigations, people have a moisture problem, and I go downstairs, and they're running a dehumidifier, and they're dumping it into the sub pump. And a lot of homes, the farther out you go, um, they, they have sub pumps because the stormwater has to come into the sub pump, and then it's got to be pumped up to higher elevation to make it to a treatment plant or to wherever the discharge is. So you've got literally hundreds of feet of pipe underground with holes in it. And in that pipe, you're definitely going to have gases, uh, soil gases, radon gas, and moisture. And with the higher humidity, the higher the vapor pressure. So when you take humidity out of your basement with a dehumidifier and you dump it into a sub-pump, like most people do, and the sub-pump is not 100% sealed, then all you're doing is recirculating. So they're just wasting electricity because as they suck the water out of the basement, <laughs> more humidity comes out of the sub-pump. And, and that it becomes a feedback loop. Yeah, well, what happens is high vapor pressure in the pipe goes to low vapor pressure in the basement where you're dehumidifying. So you're just wasting 30 bucks a month. Now, you may lower the humidity a bit, but you're not going to be 100% efficient on that. So if you want to save money, get yourself a sub pump with a 100% sealed lid. You can make them. Uh, you can buy them from radon companies. 
Right that covers, Jimmy, you put those in a lot, don't you? You cover cell phones with plexiglass. You know, and at that note, even at that point, if it's a very active cell phone, from a home inspector's perspective, you need a battery backup too, right? We've all heard of the cell phone killing in our basement's bloody, right? And and so that's another huge moisture generator. Jimmy's favorite is the humidifier on the furnace. <laughs> this is the best. The humidifier is probably the cause of, what would you say, Jimmy? 95% of the attic mold we do. 95% of the attic mold is generally caused by a humidifier that is left on in the basement. And people try to figure out, well, how does mold grow on the attic? Well, wait and, a minute. Wait a minute. Did you say a humidifier? Why would there a be a humidifier? Because HVAC contractors sell them. Uh, to people, they, it's like the extra. You know, you get the humidifier, you get the air cleaner, and they add a humidifier to the furnace, and people turn them on and leave them on all winter. And, and so now, well, well, what, what, is it, what is its purported function? It's to add, <laughs> to add humidity into the air, into the house. But why would one want to do that when it's exactly the humidity that is causing the mold problems? In the winter. Exactly, and forty percent of homes have humidifiers. They they don't get it. <laughs> and, and, and so what and, we and see so is that ec economic uh, motives are getting in the way of common sense and science. Absolutely. If you are going to run a humidifier out of furnace, you better have humidity gauges throughout the house and know what you're doing because in the winter. You don't want a lot of humidity. It doesn't take a lot of humidity to condensate and rot out windows. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy's coined the word. Was it north north corner mold or closet mold? And, and those are cold spaces, and that's where the mold grows first. And that the way it gets to the attic is interesting. These homes also have like can lights and recess lights, which aren't insulated. They have attic access panels that aren't sealed, insulated, or weather stripped. And then, of course, we have the big, the big mother of all, the whole house fan in the hallway and a pull-down stair that isn't insulated. So now moisture rises because it's lighter than dry air. It goes to the second floor, and then it goes into the cold space of the attic. This is called thermal bypass. These, these should be sealed insulated, so air can't get into the cold space from the second floor. Well, that moisture then goes to the attic and the north side where the sun doesn't shine, it's colder, and there's snow on the roof, it condensates. And then, of course, you get mold. Jimmy, what's your what's that mold that's in the attics? What, lumber yard mold? Glassporium. Glassporium, aspergillus, and penicillin. And then the people want to Jim, you have to come a little closer to the microphone. You sound like you're in the far room. Okay. Either oh, that's much room. better. You've got okay. to stay there. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. Great. I'm sorry, this, Marco. Please finish that. I have to, we, we, we have to point out, though, that this is geographically specific. And, and in, in a place like Manhattan, you would rarely, if ever, have these conditions because you don't – and this is, there's no suburbs in Manhattan. Well, well, there, there are lots of suburbs around Manhattan. There are yeah. a huge number. But you know what you're really reminding me of now is the issue that so many of us have faced, especially those in Queens and the Jersey Shore, and that is from uh, Hurricane or, as they call it, Superstorm Sandy. 
And uh, there are people that I have personally known and many, many others who have in Staten Island, in Queens, and uh, the Rockaways. Oh, my God. They have been deluged with water problems, with humidity problems, (laughs) to put it mildly, and with uh, subsequent mold problems, which – and I'm really thinking that in many ways – to our New York audience, even though we have an international one, uh, these are very real pressing issues. So I really appreciate both of you um, speaking to this. Uh, I was going to add add to this now. Jim, are you done? Well, yeah, go ahead. I'll jump in later. Oh, I was saying that that humidity factor that Jimmy was talking about with the addicts now is also in the house. So now we're going to have humidity in the house, and so now our windows are going to condensate. And a lot of these wood windows we're having problems with, especially aluminum aluminum clad windows, they're starting to rot out in houses that are nine years old. And and then if you throw some carpets into the mix and you've got a lot of pets, big dogs, now you've got a dust mite problem. And and so Jimmy gets calls all the time and people are sick, and we end up going out there and finding out not only is it mold, but dust mites, they like 50% humidity. They like carpets, they're, they're, they, you know, uh, dander, and skin and saliva is like a cheeseburger for them. And, yeah. and uh, they will they will create 50 times their weight in fecal pellets, which float around in the house. And so people get allergy attacks. And sometimes, you know, the humidity is not only causing the mold, but it's also causing... There's dust plume that comes from the carpets, from dust mites. From uh, yeah, and the VOCs, the right. Up. Uh, right. So the the fecal pellets come from the mites. Yeah. That comes from eat. the excess humidity. That's the, the stored. Mites. Yeah. Please. Yeah, you're you're right on. The the humidity okay. lets the mites live. They need to have 50% humidity. So now that open cell pump and the humidifier or that leaky base that we talked about is doing that. Now the humidity gets into the carpet, and they need some food too. So if you've got pets, big dogs are usually uh, great for fecal. Uh, I'm sorry for dust mites. They will feed on that, and then. They will excrete 50% of their weight, I think it's 50% of their weight per day, uh, of of, uh, pellets. And these pellets print down into small fragments, uh, very small microns. And every time you walk across the carpet, you kick out, you know, and and then you start sneezing or you're sick. And and it might not just be the mold that you're getting sick from. It could be from the dust in the home. Right. At least they don't have a weight problem. 50% 50% a day. That's a lot of uh, discharge. <laughs> um, let's let everybody know you are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin, and our website is www.abetterworld.tv. If you are not yet receiving our weekly free newsletter, please go to that website, abetterworld.tv, and sign up for it and join us and learn about our weekly radio and TV show that uh, are broadcast from our office and studio here in the middle of New York City, the Big Apple. Today we have convened a roundtable 
on healthy homes and indoor air quality. These issues are so often overlooked, yet actually are one of the biggest problems we all have. It's known by environmentalists and ecologists and those who are paying attention to this domain that indoor air quality is most of the time a good deal worse, more toxic, and environmentally and respiratorily more dangerous than outside air quality. And we don't think about it. We were all raised with plush carpeting. In fact, the more plush, the more luxurious it was. It showed material wealth. But in fact, it's the opposite. We become um, biologically impoverished because of the VOCs, the volatile organic compounds that are emitted from the carpeting. And then, as you heard our guest Jim Roby and Marco Volk talk about it, it becomes a breeding ground for mites who leave 50% of their body weight through fecal pellets that we then step on and move around and kick up. And before you know it, our the dust levels in our homes have increased because of our simply walking on the carpet. These are really serious things because our our lungs, which are very sensitive membranes, then inhale and digest this, and it goes then into our bloodstream. So before you know it, people are having allergic reactions, respiratory ailments, and it can even lead to digestive issues as well because it's really all one system. Blood gets toxified. Very serious issues, and we haven't even touched upon electromagnetic fields or asbestos or really radon. So I'd like if, uh, Jim, you would pick up first on the asbestos question, and let's go well, from there. Right. Where it's is it? Right. When it, is it in all homes? Is it in new homes or not? Mitchell, prior to, to picking up on that, I just want to make a point that, that I think is the most sure. important point. Please. Um, I'm a member of the Global Indoor Health Network, GIHN, and they're a wonderful resource for anybody to access to get the white paper reports that are coming out all the time from both Europe and the United States, from universities, from toxicologists and doctors. It is known, and, and, and through studies now in Europe and the United States, that indoor air quality and all of the things that comprise that, are re indoor air quality is responsible for 50% of the illness in this country. That's more than heart attacks and cancer combined. That is oh, astounding, number one. That is astounding, truly. And Truly. This is that's uh, that's almost too much to digest. <laughs> but I'll it's try. huge. <laughs> yeah, um, it's huge. Secondly, when, when Mark was talking about the dust mites, the other exacerbating fact is... <laughs> That if some if you have forced air in a, a forced air heating system, uh, you have you have return air and air circulating 24/7 in your house, and you're breathing the same air 24/7 that is inundated with these particulates, be it dust mites, be it mold fragments, be it VOCs, mm. and Indeed. so without 
make these corrections, uh, you it, it's like would you take the same bath water for a month? Yeah. That's a really air. good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> you breathe the same air twenty four seven and wonder why. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, many years uh, ago, really Jim, I think you you know this. I I helped to start a company in New York City called Healthy Property Inc. Healthy Properties right. Inc. And we addressed specifically sick building syndrome, which has everything to do with the circulation of air again and again because offices it became the architectural wonder to build them like submarines, air tight. So where's the circulation? You have to rely yeah. on the on the um, ventilation system. But where's the air right. coming for the new vent for the new air? It's coming from the street of New York well, City, right. where there's carbon monoxide, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's a lose well, lose game, right? That's why our associate Jim Artres has been so successful in selling those marvelous air purifiers. The uh, exactly. The when he's not doing the water, he's doing the air. God right. bless Jim Artress. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. We have taken that technology all over the world. Yes. As well. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's and, that's wonderful. Yeah. I want to return to uh, a quick thought that is <laughs> referring back to the idea of humidity in the home. And I'm looking sort of at a larger picture here that I'd like to hear you both weigh in on. Uh, it's an innovative thought that I'm just having as I'm listening to you. You know, water uh, is becoming one of the most and will become the most pressing issue on the planet because water reserves are disappearing, you know, desertification is occurring all over our precious United States and elsewhere in the world. The causes are many. We don't have to go into those right now, but it's certainly worthwhile. Uh, but I'm wondering if there is a way. Do you hear me? Yes. I wonder if there is a way to grab the, you know, there's an air-to-water air technology, which is essentially an elaborate uh, humidifier, to take and condense the humidity that is coming in even from those humidifiers that should not be attached <laughs> to, the, to the furnace but are, but to condense it so that homes have an additional auxiliary water source. That that is that is a great idea, and and if you all you really have to do is collect the water from the humidifier. Now you exactly. have to figure out you have to figure, you have you to have to figure out. Yes, but you have to figure out that equilibrium point, you know, and yeah. where where do we spend more electricity or do we buy the water? But uh, the humidity. And you were talking about it, asking us about asbestos. One of the yeah. humidity also causes in these older homes asbestos pipes. Uh, after years, the moisture gets into the pipes and they fall to the ground. Now they become friable. That's a real problem. And and God. not only that, uh, then then people like to clean it up and they make a bigger problem. One of the biggest uh, asbestos problems. I believe is is the asbestos that was mined from Libby, Montana. Uh, they closed that mine. W. C. Grace has closed that mine. I believe most of the miners are dead, and they 
they ran into a core of trevolite, which is a type of asbestos. Then they put it into 33 million homes in America and uh, Canada. And so in the 70s and 60s, they put this stuff down, and now they've covered it. So now it's in our home. So if you drill a hole uh, to put a light in, this this it looks like a, a, a silvery mica-type uh, installation called vermiculite. You can look it up. It's all over the Internet. And yeah. that is a huge problem. It's a, it's a huge problem, and, and people aren't failing to recognize it. Then they're putting attic access panels, you know, that are going into their attics, and they're, and they're picking this stuff up, and then it's getting back into the carpets again. And, and so that's a, a pretty big problem uh, concerning asbestos. Uh, so are you saying homes in something you sent me, Marco, it says found in many products in homes 1970s and younger. Do you mean older? Oh, I meant like 1950, 1940 to 1970-ish, around that. Right, older homes. But what's going on now? What is the replacement for asbestos these days? They're using fiberglass and uh, different types of fiberglass. They're using foams. They're using cellulose. And, uh, you know, it's a lot safer than the old asbestos products. But a lot of these homes that still have the asbestos is still a concern. Now, I, some people are now saying that you what don't do want you to do have them. Do you seek to what, – what does non-friable mean? Okay. Not, okay, for example, a lot of the – You're not talking about cooking, are you? No, no, absolutely not. Floor tile, <laughs> okay? Floor tile is not friable. It's not a problem until you sand it. That's why you're not allowed to use buffers in schools anymore, okay? Uh Siding, they built that that uh, siding on homes is not friable. You know, it, it doesn't break up in the dust, uh, okay? But insulation uh, on pipes, because the high humidity falls to the ground and breaks up, that's friable. Uh, the attic insulation for me, oh, so what you mean about. is that, it, that, that it, it atomizes in a way, that it, 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 it becomes airborne. And it becomes airborne. airborne. Okay, got it, got it, got it. But, you know, even fiberglass can be inhaled. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, what do you think of fiberglass? Well, <laughs> it's <laughs> better than asbestos, but... Uh, one, I feel like we're sitting around having a fireside chat around in my living room by the fireplace with the two of you. One <laughs> uh, problem that we find uh, with, with fiberglass are in ducts, uh, the furnace ducts, and sometimes... Uh, People put fiberglass lining inside of the furnace duct. And mm. over a period of time, especially if they have a humidifier on the furnace and the, and the hot, uh, moist air pours through there and soaks the fiberglass, and then it collects dust and then mold starts growing. But even worse than that, it's where the fiberglass gets old and it begins to break off. It then flows through the system. And, and out into the air, and uh, we had a actually at Charmaine Bassett's uh, uh, place in uh, in Toledo, uh, they had that problem, and all the ladies in the store were getting sick, and we went up and found the problem. Fortunately, there's a wonderful uh, technology out there that was developed by a company called CRT and Controlled Release Technologies, and we spray it through a gun, and we are able to coat that fiberglass and stop the fiberglass 
fragments and, uh, from distributing themselves through the air. So is that what you effective. would recommend for, for uh, you know, post-'70s homes or homes yeah. that are being constructed today? Of course they're not going to be using uh, asbestos because that has led – well, we know what has happened right. with asbestos asbestos and thankfully that came to the uh notice of people going back really to maybe the late 60s or certainly the 70s and the whistle was blown on that what is the best replacement for asbestos today it's still fiberglass or foam okay and the coated fiberglass you're kind of suggesting okay yeah okay Cellulose also would probably get in there. It's a little less expensive for yeah. walls and, and ceilings. But I, I think it. some of these these uh, ducts also that have that have this fiberglass are also mold breeding grounds. <laughs> so here we go. We turn on a humidifier. We grow the mold in our ducts. You know, and and so yes. I I don't believe that's a gr- good place to put insulation inside your ductwork. Um, there are duct like the 1950s and 60s slab homes. A lot of the the ducts uh, that they used were asbestos, but that wasn't friable. It was like solid, you know. And yes. uh, today they're they're using plastic for for those types of uh, uh, for new homes. Today they're using plastic instead of uh, uh, of hard hard asbestos or clay. Yes, I understand. You know, there really should be some form of polymer that could be so solid, like a form of plastic that uh, would really seal in what needs to be sealed in, you know, it seems to me. Let's go into, thanks for sharing about asbestos. What about radon? That became popular in the 80s. And there are a couple of different points of view on it. I mean, one of the things that Jim knows that I do, uh, Marco, is um, I do a form of biofeedback that deals with geopathic stressors. And so I am in my role as a biofeedback consultant and stress management consultant is to see the effects of these kinds of geopathic stressors on the human body. Um, it happens to be very interesting. Uh, Radon is a little controversial. Sometimes it seems that it might even have a beneficial effect, although, of course, typically we think of it as being toxic. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Radon is, is considered the second leading cause of lung cancer in America. So it's pretty much toxic. Um, now, it depends on how much radon and, and, the, and where the radon's coming from. The, the yeah. most, the, 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 where it usually comes from is from the ground. And depending on where your geographical area is, and you could, you know, get on, uh, call up whatever state you're in, and they, I'm sure they have a radon proficiency program, and you can see hot spots and areas. But the bottom line with the radon is you really should test your house. Otherwise, you're not going to yeah. know. Now, and, and if you have cracks, you know, in, in your concrete walls and your floors and sub pumps, and and one of the one of the another big item that causes more radon in one house and maybe not in another is is negative pressure. If you're sucking your basement, you're sucking more radon. And and uh, and so. And what do you mean by that? How how do you how does that negative pressure situation occur? 
the, okay, the, the, the way you get uh, uh, for uh, a person to check if they have negative pressure, it's really simple. You, you turn on your air conditioner or your furnace, and you go to, the, to your basement steps, your first step, close the door, and put your hand on the bottom of the door, that little crack. And if you feel air getting sucked in your basement, you've got negative pressure. You can oh, use all the paper. Yes. And, and if you stay downstairs, you'll eventually implode. <laughs> I don't know about that, but you'll be sucking moisture out of the sub pump if it's not sealed, and you'll be sucking in radon gas. And yes. not to mention, you're going to be sucking in cold air and humid air from little cracks, you know, from your wall penetrations. And so now you've got to condition that air. Now you're wasting energy, too. And and yes. the biggest number one negative pressure uh, producer in the basement is the cold air return. That's the one that the air goes back to the furnace. Well, Nobody seals those in most homes. They seal the supply. You know, you don't want to have negative pressure in your basement. If you have negative pressure, you're going to have all kinds of problems. You're going to have radon. You're going to be sucking moisture out of your sub pump. You're going to be sucking cold air from little small holes that you have in your siding from your gas meter and your water meters. And, and, and now you've you got to spend energy to remove the moisture out of the air. You have to spend energy to heat it and cool it and dehumidify it. And so you want exactly. to seal your cold air returns. That helps. But the bottom line is you have to test your house for radon. And if you have radon, you have to hire a mitigation company. And, you know, they range from 800 to a couple thousand bucks. And there's different ways they do that. But that has to be done by a professional to remove the radon and gas. What, what does mitigation actually consist of? Just to give us, um, our audience, it, a little bit of an idea. It's very simple. They, they go in the basement corner. They drill a hole through the concrete floor. They stick a pipe into the hole that goes below the concrete. They seal it. Then they take that pipe and take it up through the roof. And in the attic or outside, not in the house, they put a fan, an exhaust fan. It's a radon fan. And what it does is it sucks the air from underneath your slab. They call it subsurface depressurization or sub-slab depressurization, and that always runs. This way, you're sucking the air before it gets to your basement. You're taking it out to the roof. Oh, so they're uh, – let me see this. They're sucking the radon out from underneath the basement and going up through the roof and blowing it away with the fan. Yes, absolutely. It's called a radon Into mitigation. the environment. In, into yeah, the environment. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that's a big problem because you have radon everywhere anyways, so you're not really hurting the environment by that. Um, but you are removing the radon out of your house. Now, there's the big thing now are granite countertops. People are afraid that radon's coming out of the granite because that's where it, com it comes out of the bedrock, and it, it comes out of quartz, you know, and, and oh. so a lot of products, a lot of a lot of. They've been testing it, and I would say I'm not going to give you any numbers, but I, I've yet to find a high radon, but I haven't done that much. Now, there are people I've seen on the Internet that pick up radon off some of these granite countertops, which what half the new houses have granite now, right? And so that, that could be that could also be a source. And, and I remember 30, 20 years ago, I'm a, I used to be a high-rise building inspector where I used to uh, do testing, and I remember we have a building in Cleveland that's 32 stories. And we actually tested radon 
and it's a granite building. And we tested radon up to the, I think it was 30 stories, and we tested every 10, 5 or 6 stories. We did like 40 tests. And we actually found radon, not a lot, but we found like 2 to 3 picocures per liter. 4 is the is the uh, USA threshold limit. Anything over 4 is considered bad, you should mitigate. But we found 2 to 3 picocures on 30th floor coming from the granite. Uh, exterior siding. So it comes to it's building products also, not just the ground. You need to test right, it. That's exactly. all simple. It's but not the point expensive. is that granite comes from the ground. So it is coming from the ground. It's just been moved to your kitchen countertop <laughs> from the ground. Well, no. um, and, and just in terms of understanding the cycle, uh, you know, the radon in the case that you talked about looking at radon mitigation is really radon dilution. Yeah. It's not actually, it's not rendering it inert. Right. It's, if you're diluting it and, and we're removing it and you're not getting it in the larger atmosphere. Right. You know, I wonder, do you ever run into issues uh, radon, of course, is the very popular one, uh, the soup du jour, but also uh, what about methane? Methane is considered to be uh, the most egregious of all greenhouse gases relative to the larger climate issues that we're facing, the you know global warming and climate change, which is becoming so obvious and evident to people of even all uh, even fundamentalist religions are finally having to tip their hat in this direction. So I'm just wondering if uh, methane is the most dangerous of them all, worse than carbon monoxide and the like coming from transportation sources. Do you deal with methane issues? Uh, also further exacerbated by by fracturing, frack, fracking, hydrofracking, which is uh, taking the company by storm, you know, c- causing another economic and political yeah. bubble. Uh, are you, do you both run into this? Yes. The way that we deal with it is that you, you can't, uh, in air, air quality. Come back to your uh, microphone, Jim, if you would. All right. You have to assume that it's all bad. We can't hear you. Jim Roby? I can hear you, Jimmy. I can't hear you. Do I try this phone? Here. Oh, you've got to tune me in. Oh, here, I'll talk on Marcus. Can you hear me now? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. You have to take into consideration that there are a number of pollutants mycotoxins from wet buildings, etc. And so you have to filter all of it. You you do it with things like the Healthway or very good furnace filters where you're taking out 99.9% of one micron and and you filter your entire house of everything. Okay. And that's the way you have to approach it. You can't okay, get Okay, so the methane is, in a sense, one gas among many that yes. needs to be filtered through high-quality filtration systems. What interesting you did say was... Um, Jimmy said if you could cue him in. 
Um, with the meth thing, it's interesting that you said about fracking. Now that's a whole new territory, which yeah. I, you know I'm not. I'm from Cleveland, and they're not fracking here, you know. And so we yeah. don't run into a whole lot of methane. I mean, we do run into gas leaks, you know, and and I, I yeah. do a lot of combustion analysis. And one of the biggest problems uh, we didn't really talk about much is carbon monoxide caused by incomplete combustion on furnaces and water heaters. And and what's really sad is that nobody checks these. Well, not nobody, but a lot of people don't check them. They 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 come to your house, they change your filter, you know, and they charge you, put some oil on your motor, and they charge you hundred bucks. Never once do they drill a hole into your flue, hook up a draft gauge, and hook up a combustion analyzer. Do you know that one out of thirty furnaces has incomplete combustion? And I've done thousands and thousands, and I, I find. You know, in, in 30 houses, one has carbon monoxide levels being emitted into the flue gas that can kill you. And one in 30, water heaters is one in 50. And so you want to check your, your you know, for those, for gas. Well, what's going into the, the water station. heater? What's uh, well, in the water the heater? Water, the water heater, if it's a gas water heater, it's, it needs combustion. Oh. And so oh. if you have incomplete combustion, then you create oh, high yeah. carbon monoxide in the flue gas, right? And so yeah. now you've got high carbon monoxide and flue gas, let's say water heater or furnace. And now let's throw in the whole fact of the negative pressure. So now we're going to suck the carbon monoxide into our house. And so people start getting sick, and they think it's the mold again or the dust mites, and here's carbon monoxide. And most people, and the way you know if they tested your furnace and your water heater, you walk up to it, and if somebody drilled a hole in the flue, you know that it was tested with a combustion analyzer and a draft gauge. And you can almost feel comfortable, whoever did that, okay, we've got good combustion on this furnace, and people should do this yearly, and they don't. And I see so many transactions where I go to the home and I do it for my new buyers, and the furnace is bad. It has a cracked heat exchanger, or, or, or there's like in other problems with the furnace. There's like 10 problems that can cause incomplete combustion. And, you know, mm-hmm. they end up getting a new furnace. So now they're living in a house with a new furnace because somebody checked it. And a lot of the HVAC contractors don't do that. They they should. They don't. That is very, very serious. Very serious. It, it is. And I was going to say, and what's even more serious is they, the, then, the, then the carbon monoxide detector goes off, right? And those only go off yes. at 70 parts per million after four hours. So they're, like, calling the fire department. And what do they do? They open the door. Honey, the fire department's coming. There they come. And, and they air it out the house. The fire department comes in. They, they, they come in the house. They wave their little wand. You can't test carbon monoxide with a wand. you got to put it in the food gas. And they say, hey, get a new carbon monoxide detector. They leave. And it starts all over again. In the meantime, they're getting low-level poison. Because you can get low-level poison before those CO detectors go off. Yes. So yeah, but the point stuff. is that the opening of the door diluted the carbon monoxide levels in the house. So even if the wand worked, it's going to be detecting something that's a lower level, not a toxic level, because they did something as simple as open up the window or the door. Yes, and what's even better is if it's an elder retired person who's been in the house for 30 days, they feel sick. So they not yeah. only open the door, they travel to the doctor's office and get their new prescription. You know, and all of a sudden their blood gets cleaned out, they feel better, they open the door, they go back in the house, and it starts up again. And, of course, then it goes back in the It's another cycle. 
Exactly. And they get another medicine, right? <laughs> and they never know that they're being poisoned slowly by CO. Well, they're being poisoned in two ways. They're being poisoned by the indoor, uh, the, the toxic indoor air, and they're being poisoned by the medication. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both expensive. Let's turn, uh, because of time is passing, let's turn our attention. Thank you very much for responding to these. Let's talk about lead and let's talk about the ever popular fluorescent light. Let's start with lead. Jim, can you weigh in on this for a moment? Well, Franco's going to weigh in on the lead, and I'm going to weigh in on the lead. All right. Okay, excellent. I'll do the lead. The lead lead has been around for a long time, you know, since uh, Sherman Williams opened up in 1866. And and they've been putting in it. It was great stuff. It was ductile. It lasted 50 years, you know, and then they started finding out it poisoned kids. Well, these old houses still have the lead. And and yeah. and they but they paint it over. And if the windows still have it and the porches still have it, you have what's called friction surfaces. Now lead is heavy, so usually it's it's a, if you kids play on the floor, they put it in their mouth, they get poisoned. So the biggest problem I believe is windows, old windows, the troughs, and people never clean those. And that's how the kids get poisoned. They get poisoned by the window friction up and down and the dust in the trough. Not eating paint chips getting small doses of dust. And then the other big big one that nobody ever thinks about is that house is being painted for the last, you know, 50 years, and they scraped the paint. So now all the dirt around the house and the play area where the garage used to be is contaminated, so these kids are playing with their little Tonka trucks. And so they're getting poisoned, again, by the, the uh, paint. Now, moisture, that's great because if you have too much humidity... Just so I understand, you're saying that... The paint, there become layers of paint, and the lead gets encapsulated in the earlier, uh, the earlier paint, the earlier Absolutely. paint. Absolutely. And then when you yeah. move the window or close the door, the friction causes the dust. Now, yes. we talked uh, about high humidity. People, then they've got 10 layers of paint, so they go buy that new Sherman Special Killer paint, you know, that's, that's, that cost a lot of money. And they put that out yeah. of the house. Now, now what they did is now they got a vapor barrier. They got eight coats of paint and that super paint, and now the moisture can't leave the house because there's the humidifiers on. So now the paint yeah. starts failing. So now you got paint failure and water bubbles on your side. They usually have to start on the north side. So humidity also causes lead contamination of soil and, and, and lead failures from, from uh, uh, the wood expands and contracts and it causes paint failure. So we're back to the whole humidity thing. Um, and that, so that's a whole big problem. Exactly. Most of the kids under six. We're worried about the kids under six. I'm a lead. I'm a lead licensed uh, clearance inspector also. So most of my our, our uh, inspections are testing houses for dust. You know, and you have to yes. really clean a house. You have to. There's some videos on YouTube how to pass a clearance test, and you can watch the videos and explains exactly what you have to do. Yes. Excellent, excellent. You want to clean house. Yeah. Yes, you need a clean house. You want to clean your windows, and you want to maybe buy a, a HEPA vacuum cleaner, right, Jimmy? Yeah. HEPA vacuum cleaners are the best things to have in your home, and mo- I believe most of them are HEPAs. You need a clean these house. Days. Yeah, yes. these days I think they are. Exactly. No, this is very, very, very informative, and I really, really appreciate it. Let's turn our attention now to uh, the fluorescent light bulbs, which 
have now, interestingly, been outlawed. They will not be manufactured anymore since, what was it, last June or July? Well, the, see, the, you're talking about the compact fluorescents? Oh, yes. The, I'm, not, uh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the older light bulb, which... Yeah, the, I'm in, sorry, the incandescent. incandescent. The incandescent light bulb has... Yeah. Yes, the last the last factory closed, I believe. You can't even make them anymore. So it's not like you, you know. What's interesting, though, I have a I have a German scientist friend who I had on the radio show a couple of years back, Christian Opitz, who made a case for the incandescent, and he said, from an environmental point of view, it was actually a good deal better than the. Uh, the replacement of the uh, fluorescent bulbs. God love us, because we're heading down a very slippery slope. You have to come closer to the microphone, Jim. All very poorly. We're going to have to get you into the phone business also. Great. Do you hear me now? No. No, come here, Jim. Just use my phone here. Okay, the very slippery slope is that all of these complex fluorescents cannot be disposed of uh, in the garbage. They all have to be uh, disposed of in a proper disposal spot, like Home Depot right now will take the uh, take them. But they're going to have a record of it. And what's going to happen is they're going to start re- recording all of this and tracking it and then when you can't come up with the receipts that you have properly disposed of this, guess what happens? You're going to get a fine. Probably coming in about five or ten years. The, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the new light bulbs, they have mercury in it, right? We all know that, right? Yeah. And, and when, those, when those light bulbs break, the mercury actually, like Jimmy was saying, contaminates your house. And I, I believe that if one breaks... And it's, I believe it's eight times the exposure allowable limit that OSHA for an adult, and I think it's like 8,000 times exposure limit for a child. And they have a whole process how to clean those up. Now, we clean those up, right, and they say that 30% of it gets blown into the air of the house, so you have to open windows, you got to leave the house, you got to shut down your heating system. Then if you dispose of it in a dump, well, guess what? There's 70% mercury left. That's just going to get into what? Our groundwater and our soil yep. at the dump. So, and then we're going to drink it. Yeah. 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 So oh, it was it's unbelievable. Was- How in the world did these light bulbs pass OSHA or the EPA for that matter? Did you hear I, We We can't hear you, Jim. Jimmy, you're not on. You have to, your phone's not working. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I have no idea. I think that they were talking about it, and we were all sleeping. We should have been listening to the news more, and it's a little yeah. bit late now. It's a little bit late because they shut down the last plant, so we're kind of stuck with these compact fluorescent lights. And but the, now the good thing the green people like them because well that's they, not really true we we have a real we have a very real alternative and I'm working on it and that's LED lighting 
Oh yeah, LEDs LEDs work very well. It changes uh, the game. Completely changes the yes. game. Yes. Yeah. There's no mercury in the LED, and I think that is no. going to become very popular. Yes. I think these are going to become outlawed just like the incandescent bulb, but it can't happen soon enough because you exactly. can go to YouTube and, and see this kinds of burns that people have experienced from these um, these kinds of light bulbs. It's, it's scary. It's some, some German scientists, I believe, state that they even cause cancer. You know, they can cause yeah. cancer in skin burns. And so I yeah. have no idea. I, I have no idea how... This came to be. It doesn't even make sense, but we, we, it's here. It's here, and that's it. You know, we exactly. Have to well, I'll, I'll I'll be bringing LED lighting that's connected to photovoltaic, meaning it's immediately, by definition, off grid in the upcoming future. So stay tuned. Anyway, I want to just thank you both profoundly for this incredibly rich information and education that you have shared with me and my audience. I know there's a whole lot more to cover, and I would really like to invite you back on another occasion, and we can pick up where we left off and go well, into greater depth for people. Great, because the one thing that we really didn't get to was the proper way to remediate mold without yes. having to sell your firstborn. Can you give us a quick version of it, Jim? Stabilized peroxide. Oh, I see. Okay. Stabilized peroxide, which is sort of like a form of hydrogen peroxide? Yes, exactly. Okay, it's, ox it's oxidating oxygen, basically. Yes, precisely, with a wetting agent. Right. Right. Okay, and is that what's found in Stevershell? Pardon me? Is that what's found in Stevershell? No. Stevershell is a surface cleaner, and, and one of the pests there is. But when you're treating surfaces, stabilized peroxide is absolutely the way to go. Excellent. Excellent. I guess it's a uh, it's a close cousin to uh, ozone. <laughs> well, but without being toxic, yes. Exactly, exactly. Wonderful. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to have you both on the show. Uh, please give us a website or two that uh, our audience can go visit uh, upon in their interest in learning more about your work. My uh, my website is www.houseinvestigations.com, and I also have a lot of YouTube videos on the channel Cleveland Marco, and that's with a K, Cleveland Marco with a K, one word. Excellent. Wonderful. Marco Volk, it's been a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show, sharing your rich body of experience and knowledge. It's been wonderful. And Jim Roby. Do you want to give us a website as well, or yes, uh, com, which is s t e r i t e c dot com. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I also Thank want to mention that we have a qualified contractor in Manhattan that we trained 
and uh, his is the in-house group. And there's that, in-house. Is that the website? Okay. In-house group. Wonderful. Inc. dot com. Excellent. Great. Thank you both for being the wonderful resources uh, that you both are, and uh, we really appreciate it. Our audience very much appreciates all that you shared with us. It really brought to light uh, those day-to-day issues that we're all facing. Um, Yes, not that much uh, of those of us who live in apartments, but in homes all around the country and beyond are wrestling and grappling with these kinds of issues. And you really brought another level of uh, awareness to these issues. So thank you so much, and we'll have you back another time. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Goodbye. Thank you. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Take care now. Uh, I'm so glad that you joined us for this uh, really enlightening show. There is so much material here that it's hard to cover all in one show, and we have obviously extended a little bit today. Our website is www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight and Standard Time, depending on the season, and uh, very much appreciate your being part of our, our community Get on our newsletter if you're not already at that very same website, and stay tuned. There are weekly radio and TV shows, and we're always bringing you new information and new ways of thinking about our world. Why? To create a better one. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. Thanks again for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.